Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about your newborn, the mammal. We often think that newborns are cute, but somewhat helpless little lumps, when in fact they have an arsenal of instincts to ensure that they can find their food source without much external help. What are those instincts that make breastfeeding and bonding seamless? Diane Wiesinger is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Simply Breastfeeding, a prenatal breastfeeding course to help nursing parents feel confident with their newborns. Learn more at birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding and use the code birthful for 15% off. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for listening and for all the love you give the show. If what you hear is helpful, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And if you'd like to further support this podcast, then please support its sponsors, who in this week's case are simply breastfeeding and expectful. Also, quick reminder that if you are around 29 to 34 weeks or near that, this is the perfect time for you to start preparing for life with a newborn. And to do just that, check out my postpartum preparation course called Thrive With Your Newborn at birthfulcourses.com. This is content you won't find in your childbirth education classes nor in newborn care classes, but it's vitally helpful. So do yourself a huge favor and go sign up right now to go do it at birthfulcourses.com. All right. In honor of Kangaroo Care Day, which was on May 15th, I am renewing this episode by the delightful Diane Wiesinger. This is part one of a two-part episode. And during this episode, we talk about the beginnings of breastfeeding, how your brand new, brand new newborn initiates the process and what's going on with them as right after they come out into the world. So here, here's the interview. So today I'm really happy to have on the show Diane Wiesinger, and it's, it's the way she says to pronounce her name is think of singing. I sing, you sing, Wiesinger. Um, she holds a bachelor and master's degree in biology and in ecology and evolutionary biology from Cornell University. She has been a La Leche League leader since 1985 and an international board certified lactation consultant since, ni- since 1990. And although she studied animal behavior for her master's degree, she still timed her first baby's feeds with a stopwatch. It took her a quarter century for her to understand that our infants are just standard mammalian newborns in human packaging. She is the author of numerous articles, chapters, and handouts, and is the co-author of the eighth edition of Lalitia League's International's The The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, and the book Sweet Sleep, Nighttime, and Naptime Strategies for the Breastfeeding Family. Diane has spoken across North America and abroad on her favorite topics, which are how mothers and babies sleep, how they make breastfeeding happen, and how the language we use reflects our unconscious views of breastfeeding. Her conference speaking has allowed her to ride a camel, watch kangaroos on a golf course, eat a dish called drunken chicken, and use a squat toilet successfully. Thank goodness. Diane has two grown sons, two lovely daughters-in-law, and four bright and breastfed grandchildren. Diane, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I have to ask how your name is pronounced. Is it Adriana? It's Adriana. So I'm originally Adriana. from Venezuela. Okay. Yeah, originally from Venezuela. So Adriana would be the thing, but you, you don't okay. have to go that far. <laughs> I'll go with Adriana. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, I have to ask you, I have to ask you about this drunken chicken. Was it any good? Oh, dear. No, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, this was in Taiwan, and uh, they like to have a piece of bone in every piece of chicken. So besides it tasting not like your average barbecued chicken, uh, there was a bone in each little piece of it. So no, that was one of the dishes I'm, I'm not planning on repeating. Oh, I'm vegetarian, so any kind <laughs> of chicken doesn't sound very appealing. <laughs> Um, I've had the immense pleasure of hearing you speak at conferences, and your talk on what would mammals do is one of my all-time favorite favorites. And 
that's what prompted it's one of my all-time favorites too. Yeah, it's fantastic, and that's what prompted this this podcast. I I wanted to help you share that information with more people because it's such great information. Um, tell me a little bit about what are those some insights that you gained when your animal behavior background collided with your breastfeeding training. Oh, well, as you said, it took it a long time to, to kick in. The, um, I had, my, my firstborn was about two weeks old, and I had been timing feedings with a stopwatch, 10 minutes on the first side and as long as they want on the second side, and jiggling his elbow if he fell asleep. And um, trying to follow my mother's instructions, she had nursed two children, but she felt that a baby should sleep between nursings. And uh, he was fussy again, hadn't slept. And I nursed him again, and he went to sleep. So that was my first inkling that perhaps the books and the shoulds might not all be right. Um, my second one was uh, probably, it was probably around two weeks, um, that I thought, wait a minute, the woman in the grass hut doesn't have a stopwatch. How does she do this? And uh, after that moment of revelation, I started using the woman in the grass hut as my role model. I had no idea where this grass hut was. My mental image was somewhere south of Alaska, which, of course, is just ocean. Um, but she was my role model. And gradually, I started adding other animals as role models, horses and dogs. And, you know, how did they do things? And when I had any questions, it actually, it was the woman in the grass hut that I kept coming back to. And it was a long time before I expanded totally to all mammals. Um, in fact, I was asked to do a talk on uh, breastfeeding lessons from animal behavior. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fun to do. You know, how do the how do the other mammals start solids and how do the other mammals sleep and so on? And uh, the message that kept coming through loud and clear from the mammalian research and the zookeepers and the people studying mammals in the field and the people raising um, domestic animals they didn't write too much about the nursing part, the feeding the baby part. They wrote about the birth, that in these mammals, if you got the birth right, the feeding happened just about automatically from uh -huh. that point on. They were very nervous to make sure the birth went well. And after that, there was a, a sigh of <laughs> relief on everyone's part. I hadn't been prepared for that. I hadn't been prepared for it. That makes total sense, though. If When we think about animals... Uh, we know that animal breeders, they are very, they just, they want, like the birth isn't over until that mammal claims her baby and, and, and oh, breastfeeding. Oh, well put. Claims her baby. Ooh, ooh. Um, this is all going to be pretty random if you spin off me and I spin off you. I hope that's okay. Absolutely. But the notion... The notion of claiming her baby, there's a wonderful short little video called Birth in the Squatting Position that goes back maybe 40 years at this point. Um, it was a, a couple of Brazilian obstetricians who'd been telling mothers to lie on their backs to birth. They realized that the, the local mothers were doing much better squatting, so they started telling mothers to squat, which of course um, is almost as bad. But they taped these women, and I had seen this little video clip, I don't know, 75 times. And I realized I was seeing the same thing in each clip. The baby was born, and the mother just looked at it. She didn't pick it up. She didn't touch it. She just looked. Then she started to touch and feel and stroke and then she picked the baby up and looked the baby all over and then on her terms in her time she brought the baby to her her chest squatting sitting up and that pause there I realized that uh, we don't allow that pause a baby is born in a hospital and whoosh, that baby is right up on your chest and when I was describing this this um pause there right after the birth a friend of mine said oh that makes me feel so much better after after julie was born and she went right up onto my chest i felt assaulted the first thing i wanted to do was get away from her she said i've always felt bad about that 
that that little pause there is where we claim the baby and we're built to do it in our own space our own way our own time and I just I couldn't believe I had missed that over and over and over these mothers who are not being instructed in any way they pause and there's a break between being pregnant and becoming a mother Mm-hmm. And I think if we've, I felt it. I remember having that shock of suddenly a baby was on my chest and not quite <laughs> being sure of what, oh, now I have not to focus on this. But yeah, not being ready for it. Um, I think uh-huh. it's Mary Esther Malloy that says it beautiful. She says something like, you have to exhale the birth before you inhale the baby. Yes, very good. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. that's one of the instincts on the mother's side. Let's give her a pause for the birth. What um, are some of these the instincts that the, a newborn will do and follow after being born? Well, again, we're just mammals. And um, one of the things I, I ask the audience to do in this talk is to think of a mammal. In fact, your audience can do that. Think of a mammal, any mammal. Don't do whale. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, whales are mammals. Pick a mammal. <laughs> <laughs> it works with whales. But uh, now picture that mammal as a newborn, brand newborn. Now, Flip it over on its back and imagine what it does. And every mammal you can think of starts to squirm and wriggle and be very uncomfortable in that position. Mammals like to have their front supported. Um, They want the ground under them. Even the most primitive baby mammal, um, even a, a kangaroo baby, has some competence when his full front is supported. Uh, he has no competence at all on his back. All he can do is flail. But with his with his front supported, he can he can control his world a little bit. So our babies are expect and are most calm when their whole front. Someone said they when they make a chest plant on us, and I think that term does it. Their whole front is mm-hmm. on us. Um, and because we're higher primates, they also like to be rather vertical. And this notion that was around for a while that uh, mothers should lie flat on their backs with the baby on top of them, that's very abnormal. We wouldn't do that unless somebody told us to do it. So we want to be somewhat upright and our babies want to be somewhat upright and we both do best chest to chest. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I mean, the image of, of, the, of the mammal on their back I feel uncomfortable just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, as we get older, we can we can assume any position. But yeah, you're right. If I picture lying on the floor on my back, I do feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And the babies, I'm I'm. It is speculated that the baby who's flailing in that position is trying to grab fur, trying to grab hair, trying to grab the mother somehow with all of that flailing. Um, which which fits? Help me here. I'm helpless. Help me. Right. So if you if you support the baby's front and do it a little bit vertical so they mm-hmm. can anchor themselves, then mm-hmm. what tends to happen? Well, you use the word anchor. That's an interesting one too. There have been people who have had wonderful insights along the way. One of those people is Suzanne Colson in England. And she was one of the first to notice that babies like to brace their feet. Um, if you think about, well, of course, the baby horse braces his feet just by standing on the ground. A puppy braces his feet to push himself against his mother. She's not going to hold him. He has to push to keep himself in place. And our little baby mammals like to have their feet on something. For years, we were trying not to let their feet touch anything because uh, they push Well, that's what baby mammals do. They push, and it's a normal thing. Um, If he's on your chest and you're stretched out a little bit, often they'll they'll brace a foot on your thigh um, and use it to push themselves towards your breast. They can do that themselves. Um, That's another thing we've been instructed in, though. Your baby can do it all by himself. He has to do it all by himself. No, he expects you to help. 
You're uh-huh. a higher primate. You can hold a baby. You you know where they're headed and you do whatever dumb thing it occurs to you to do and whatever dumb thing it is, it's the right thing to do. Just as one, um, as one lactation consultant said, just help the baby do what he's trying to do. And uh, just the way you would help uh, an older child, you know, with, and just help. Don't, don't do it for them. Don't tell them what it is they're about to do. Just, just, uh, you know, a little shift, a little pause, move your breast, wiggle your shoulder, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But don't, no need to lie there like a, like a stick. No, again, no mother would do that without instruction. No new mother. Right. And I like the, give them to, you know, like let them help but let them don't do it for them let them figure it out let's take a quick break but when we come back i want to talk a little bit about how long to expect this to take we'll be right back as you've been hearing breastfeeding may be natural but it's a learning process both for you and your baby and like most learning processes it takes a lot of trial and error however this trial and error can sometimes come along with some crying and not necessarily only from your baby help lessen the crying and frustration by arming yourself with some solid knowledge a great way to prepare for this and soak up even more knowledge is by taking the simply breastfeeding online class created by breastfeeding experts Cindy and Jana and in their class you'll learn to recognize what your baby is telling you and how to meet your baby's needs starting in the very first hour after birth. You'll understand the basics of breastfeeding and be able to return to them even if you encounter difficulties and you'll feel confident knowing the answers to the most frequently asked questions. Lessen your anxiety and frustration and relax knowing that you've got this. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding to learn more. And as a Birthful listener, you get 15% off if you use the code birthful when you register. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding or click on the link on the show notes to get you on your way. And we're back. So Diane, in terms of time for that initial latch, what can people expect? How long does it take? Oh, anything. I have a friend who who delivered her third child on her back and just instinctively pulled him up. And she said before she even opened her eyes, he was latched on in nursing. She'd given a little bit of help. It would have taken him forever to get there on his own. Um, Some babies can take as much as an hour. Um, Now the, the lying on her side and whoom, all of a sudden the baby was nursing. That was a home birth. Um, Another friend with a home birth, um, Dear me, I just lost my train of thought. I'll come back to her. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, her baby was born and just kind of looked around. And I believe it was two hours before that baby nursed. Perfectly healthy, perfectly fine. Um, way on the outside of the bell curve. But um, that's what that baby did. So just, you know, hang out together help the baby do whatever he's trying to do, and uh, the pieces do come together. Mm-hmm. And things that help, you said putting baby front to front, you know, in a sort of reclined vertical position. Um, and obviously we're talking of all this thinking mammals, we're all naked, so it's all skin to skin. <laughs> oh, this business of giving birth with a bra on, I don't understand it. That's the first place the baby wants to go. <laughs> we keep it covered up. So yeah, naked is good. Um, all of this is just so much easier at home for anyone who is considering it. Consider it seriously. The whole process is just so much easier at home. Mm. It's it's even easier to feel naked when you're in your own home. Right. Um, and it goes back to that, what you were saying about how the birth affects the breastfeeding, sort of like it's all connected. So what are, maybe let's look at that for a bit at, um, what we need to consider about the birth to have a better breastfeeding. Yeah, the the first thing that came to mind when I said so much easier at home was uh, my daughter-in-law, one of my daughters-in-law who had both her children at home. 
and they had made up a, um, a birthing plan for home and a birthing plan for the hospital and in case they need in case they were transported and the birthing plan for home was things like let the dog out in the backyard not the front yard um, you have to click the coffee maker on and off twice um, make sure that this so and so it was instructions to her helpers on how to manage in her household this was the queen talking to the servants mm -hmm. and her birth plan for the hospital was if possible we would like to and so on it was the servants talking to the king and i thought what a difference in what's contained in these two documents uh, you want to be in a place where you have control you want to be in a place where you can have quiet privacy uh, dim lighting um, you want to have people with you when you want them and you want to be able to send them away when you don't want them. You want control. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in a hospital, it doesn't hurt to have somebody bar the door <laughs> and say and invite people in as the mother wants them and keep them away as she prefers. But uh, you've rented the room. If you're in a hospital, you are the renter. That is your room and you get to decide what happens in it. Mm-hmm. And I, at home, of course, you're on your home turf. Right. I yeah. I am also a birth doula, so I always because it is it, and I I had never thought about it that way of not just how different birth plans are for home and for and for hospital, but the tone of it. And again, it goes back to and you do a great talk on this as well on the language that we use surrounding birth. Um, mm -hmm. I'm always telling my my families, my doula families, that if that there's always a bathroom, there there tends to always be a bathroom inside their birthing rooms. That <laughs> that can be their cave. <laughs> they yep. can that one. People tend to really think twice before you know barging into you if you're in the bathroom. So you can if you can't find the privacy and the control in the actual room, mm -hmm. there's there's that where you can go. It even occurs to me for the first time as you say that, take what you need into the bathroom, blankets, pillows, <laughs> you mm -hmm. can make a nest in the bathroom and close the door. Um, one of the, the Ina Mae Gaskin, who is, uh, who's been doing births for oh, probably about 120 years now, um, she has what she calls the sphincter law. And it's about how all of our sphincters, vaginal, rectal, any sphincters that we have, um, they tend to close up when we're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of what happens to me on, on a vacation. It doesn't matter where the vacation is. If it, if it isn't my home, I'm not, and my body isn't entirely comfortable and I'm a little constipated for a couple of days. I'm just off. Well, I think that's the sphincter law. And boy, you walk in a hospital door and the sphincter law comes into effect. So yeah, it is just a whole lot easier just to stay home. And mm -hmm. it, you know, other resources are always there. They're always there, uh, readily accessible. And, and you can change your mind at any point too. Yeah, yeah, because you are in control. <laughs> This is your birth. It's not a medical event. <laughs> it's not a medical event. No. Unless it's hot. You know, if you're low risk and all of these things, you, you, you know how to do this because you're a mammal. Yeah. And yeah. as somebody pointed out, now birth is not my, my specialty at all. I'm a breastfeeding person. Mm -hmm. I stumbled into birth when I realized what the connection was. But someone pointed out that it takes a while to prep um, an operating room whether you're in the hospital or at home and the time while they're prepping can either be spent in the hospital in the hospital or spent getting to the hospital is there some truth in that you're the birth person well well there is and it depends on how quickly i mean they're they're how far you are from the hospital and but right. it's not like if yeah but even if if you are in the hospital it has to unless it's in a incredibly urgent cesarean mm -hmm. there is for a non-urgent cesarean um there there's, there's some time time and yeah there's time yeah. involved and, yeah. and you have to consent and all reading you know there's a lot of information that goes back and forth into what what will happen and the risks and um, it can take at least half an hour mm -hmm. um 
mm-hmm. on, on a normal, not not again, not urgent um, right. circumstances. Urgent is urgent. Yeah, but um, the average. And uh, I'm having a lot of thoughts that are new to me, Adriana, as we do this. <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> one, one is yeah. One is this birth pause where you go from um, the pregnant woman to the mother, and Knowing that ahead of time, you, if you're in a hospital, you can prepare the staff ahead of time and say, I, I don't toss the baby onto me, put the baby beside me and uh, we'll make a space here. This is where the baby's going to go and I will, I will take the baby up in my own time. Mm-hmm. Or however that, because I thought, gosh, with an epidural, there's a limit to what you can do. But I think in most cases, if the baby is beside you, you can pick her up or pick him up. And there's another period in there that um, was new to me. And that's uh, one midwife called it the still pool, um, where labor can, can sort of shut down shortly before the baby's born. Uh, and my image is of the uterus taking a deep breath, spitting on its hands and getting a better grip. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. But it can be a rather lengthy pause and it's normal. Probably doesn't occur every time, but if that happens, it's not failure to progress. It's the still pool just before the birth. Now, can you relate to that? I, I can, and I can relate. I think there's a lot of parallels, obviously, because it's kind of one thing goes hand in hand with the other between birth and breastfeeding in that every relationship, breastfeeding relationship, is as unique as every person is unique, as every birth is unique. Right. There is a general consensus of you're thinking, okay, you know, labor will start, and after a while, there'll be, there will be some pushing, and a baby will come out. Like, that's birth. That's mm-hmm. That's it. Um, it. If it's if it doesn't require an intervention, and with breastfeeding, you kind of think the same thing. Baby goes to the breast and latches on. Milk comes out, and baby is fed. Right? <laughs> like those right. are the very broad general strokes of the process because of the physiology. But then there's a million and thousand and one nuances yep. that affect it. Um, so let's talk about those nuances and those differences. We talked a little bit about it with the with the how time changes um, of that breastfeeding initiation that can be instantly latch on or it can take an hour mm-hmm. or so. Um, what other things can encourage, I guess, those instincts that the mom can do or that can help um, aside from a vertical sort of baby led feeding? Oh, I think um, hanging out together is one of the best things you can do. Not Keeping the baby with you. There's hardly anything that would need to be done with a newborn that couldn't be done right there with the baby on you and, and calm and sort of in, his, in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> Keep baby in the kitchen, yes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a baby will overshoot. They do push, they do creep. It's amazing how, how they can move. Uh, and they can overshoot. <laughs> mm-hmm. They they can't back up very well. So if a baby is pushing toward your breast and, and shoots past it, um, you can just pull him or her back and, and so that he can start over and, and start pushing again. They like, for years, um, we lactation consultants made a mess of everything. Most of what we said in the early days was just wrong. And it's taken us probably 30 years to correct our mistakes as well as to come up with some truly helpful things. And one of the things we said for years was don't touch the baby's cheek or he'll turn away. Well, that's a rooting reflex. It's powerful for us to say don't trigger that reflex was just the silliest thing in the world. But babies know their mouth is everything. Uh, Next up would be probably their, their hands and, well, and, hands and face I think would be tied they're not doing this with their eyes they're doing it with their with touch and feel and face they want their if they're lying on your chest um, their head's going to be to the side you know they're not going to lie with their nose pressed down into your chest their head's going to be to the side lo and behold their cheek is touching if they're going to root they're going to lift their head and now 
their head is straight on. So if you put the baby's cheek against your breast and kind of, you could even kind of stroke that side, he will turn in that direction and his head will now be straight because it was turned and his mouth will open wide and that makes him all the more likely to take your, take your, your breast. Mm-hmm. Um, something to think about with how they do it. They can't just have the nipple in front of them and go... Uh, they want to take a basically a, a bite out of your breast, that that kind of a mouthful. So when they have a nipple right in front of them, they don't, they can't do anything with it. They can't get their jaw sort of under a chunk of breast, so they have something in their mouth. Um, so when I think of a baby overshooting the nipple, if he's gone so far that the nipple is right at his mouth. Um, he's overshot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tug him back to where his head is a little bit back and um, it's it's ahead of him. He can feel it ahead of him uh, as he as he unches along. And when he's nursing, then his head will be just a little bit back, not his chin. If his chin is tucked, he can't, again, he can't get that big hunk of breast in his mouth. So head a little bit back. Um the baby who needs uh, even even more help, one of the things you can do, and I'm not quite sure how to describe this, um, the baby is, is near your breast and just it's not happening. Um, if you put a finger right at the base of your nipple on the, the mustache side of the baby if you were it's where you would put your finger if you were making a mustache for the baby and press right at the base of your nipple there your nipple will tilt away from the baby which which sounds wrong but it also means there's a poof of breast there and if he approaches the breast you can just kind of scooch the nipple in last thing his mouth is open you've held the nipple away from him and you just scoot it in at the last moment that's very hard to describe Mm. Um, you know what there are some wonderful videos I'm so glad I said it's hard to describe there's some wonderful videos online um oh let me see if I can get the it's (laughs) it's very simple but Okay. So you're doing yep. it, it's, it's your, your fingers above the nipple. Above the nipple mm-hmm. from the baby's perspective toward, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, again, on the, on the upper jaw side of your nipple. Right. Um, as if you were, the position is just as if you were making a mustache for the baby. Right. Um, a place where you can see this and get some great video footage is on YouTube. And the website, it's Nancy Moorbacher who, who put these videos online. And they're wonderful to see. All these different mothers, different body shapes, different babies, different positions. And they all fit fit themselves together. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I will, on the show notes, I'll put a link. I'll find the videos and put a link so people can just click directly. Um, let's take another quick break, but we'll be right back. Mighty Ones, how is your nervous system doing? If your nervous system spends a lot more time in high alert and doesn't get to baseline often, then your body is in constant state of stress, which is not that great, not that healthy. You want to know my solution to resetting my nervous system? It's meditation. I have quite a bit of sustained stress in my life, and I find that meditating is a super, super easy way to make sure I break up those stress signals. You may be thinking, that sounds great, but who's got time to meditate? The good news is that if you have five minutes, then you do have time to meditate, and it becomes even easier when you use a meditation app like Expectful. I've tried other meditation apps, and I really like how the Expectful app is designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you need at that moment, whether it's better sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty. Expectful makes it super easy for you. Plus, I do love the voice of the person who reads the meditations. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out yourself. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. 
And we're back talking with Diane Wiesinger. And before we left, we were mentioning uh, Nancy Moorbacher's videos on, on breastfeeding and how interesting those are. And I remember that I also have a couple of episodes with Nancy that I've done on one on all about pumping and the other one on pumping and going back to work. So I'll make sure to link those uh, on the show notes as well. Her stuff is just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I like about um, one of her videos, uh, there are all sorts of great moments, but there's a new mother. She's she's lying back. She's kind of slumped the way you slump on the couch to watch television. And the baby is resting on her in their unique way. It's whatever they've put together. She starts to talk and she uses both hands while she's talking. Now here she's been a mother for about two weeks. In theory, she's still where everything is really clumsy, but gravity has taken over because the baby is is resting on her. She's not flat on her back by any means, but gravity's holding the baby. She's got one arm just kind of you know keeping the baby from rolling off the couch, and she's got both hands free to talk. I thought, yes, she looks like a very experienced mother just because gravity's doing the heavy lifting. And it's how different is that image from what we usually might see or might have experienced of 30 pillows, just right, you know, holding yeah. yourself up, tensing, hunching your your body over baby that's sitting on a pillow and you're, you're it's hurting your neck. Um, and then gravity is not helping. So actually baby's falling away from the breast and you're trying right. to put him back in there. Um, yeah. Getting getting carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah. I've seen. Yeah. Let gravity so, help yeah. you. Yes. He's so and easy. back to the baby bracing his feet. There's just so much cool mammal stuff there. Um, if we're lying back a little bit, we don't have to have both hands to hold the baby. One hand tends to go down and play with the baby's foot or feet. And it occurred to me watching this, I thought, she's grounding his foot for him. I have a picture of a gorilla playing with her baby's feet while the baby nurses or one one foot just kind of playing with the foot and I thought yes that's a that's support for the baby that's actually helping with the nursing is having those feet grounded mm-hmm. and nobody tells you to do that I can remember playing with my baby's feet I thought oh my gosh that's what I was doing was giving that baby some foot support yeah those instincts mm-hmm. and they are there they are there and if somebody if it gets too ruly, uh, too many rules, you might want to look somewhere else for a helper. Um, this doesn't have a lot of rules. It's just really different for different people. If you haven't been to a La Leche League meeting, I'm going to put in a plug for La Leche League yes. here. I wish I had gone when I was pregnant. What you see is very sloppy mothering. This one is, this mother is cross-legged. This mother has one leg slung over the other. This mother is um, walking and all of them nursing in these wild positions that you don't see in the books and they're working and you see how mothers handle their babies. You see how often the babies nurse, which is a lot. Um, Ooh, and we can circle back around to that one. Yeah. I'll forget it, so don't don't you forget it. I won't. <laughs> but you get you get several things out of these meetings that you cannot get online. You you can't get them online. One is seeing what these mothers online are talking about. You see them doing it, uh, and you literally you smell birth and breastfeeding. Uh, we tend to release oxytocin in the presence of other mothers and children. And guess what you get at a La Leche League meeting? I don't think this happens online. So you're actually put in a better climate for nursing your baby. Uh, You get a lot of different ideas. Some work for you, some don't. You discard the ones that don't work. But I could have, I had so many just little, what I thought were silly questions. Um, when, and I didn't go to a meeting until my baby was four months old. So many of those little silly questions would have been answered instantly mm-hmm. uh, at a La meeting, either verbally or just by watching. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something really interesting, and I know you want to circle back. I wrote it down. They're nursing a lot. Good. We will go mm-hmm. back to that. But you just talked about smell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> that one, the why is smell so important and and then can we tie it to the hat? (laughs) (laughs) I went immediately to the hat. Um, Babies smell delicious. 
breastfed babies smell delicious. Formula-fed babies don't smell the same. I think that's where the lotions and powders came from. Um, but one of the early things you'll want to do with your baby is just smell his wet head. Just put your face down and just inhale him. Uh, unless, unless they're told otherwise, hospital staff will put a hat on your baby's head instantly. Well, you know, babies have always been born at any time of day, any time of year, in the dark, they're born wet, it's chilly, your body and a, and a, a blanket over the two of you will keep that baby warm. There's no need for a hat. The rest of the world <laughs> thinks we're very peculiar putting hats on our newborns. Um, but that smell is just a part of you and your baby becoming one person. He, he'll know you by smell right away. And uh, you'll know him by smell right away. But you need you need those smells. And there's a tendency in our culture to clean up birth right away. No, this is part of the process. Is just enjoying the goo. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. and most if we go back to thinking about other mammals, they they more than enjoy the goo. They lick it up. They eat it up. <laughs> yeah. you know? Exactly, exactly. That's part and parcel of it. Um, there's no rush to cut. Others, no other species can cut the cord, or at least they can't clamp the cord. And any cord nipping or anything has to happen after that cord is not transferring blood. Otherwise, mother and the baby would bleed out. Um, we use clamps because we want to cut that cord too soon. And um, blood is still, the, the blood that the baby has a right to is still flowing into him after he's born, kind of inflating him a little bit after he squeezes through as such a small package. Um, so no rush on that. Uh, I don't think anyone's quite sure why that started. One person said it might have been because we had specialists to work on the mother and specialists to work on the baby and we had to get them apart fast to mm. do that. There's also a thing about the managed uh, third stage of labor that it came together with the, you know, doing um, Pitocin to try to get the uterus yes. to clamp down as soon as possible and do the fundal massage and then trying to get that placenta as quick as possible so it wouldn't get entrapped in the uterus as it collapsed from this medicine, you know, not collapsed, contracted and became smaller from this medicine you gave it. So you needed to traction to pull and that cord is slippery. So that was a good <laughs> handle. The uh -huh. clamp was a good handle as well to get, to get it out. Um, and what and another thing, because you reminded me about uh, with mammals, right? Nobody, no other mammal can clamp to the, it, the cord has to stop pulsating on its own Stop. but right. we've got wharton's jelly which is what makes the the umbilical cord it protects the arteries in the vein right once that stops pulsating and the blood transfers has gone the wharton's jelly liquefies and self-clamps oh my mm. so oh, like cool. oh what a surprise we don't need to clamp nature clamps for us <laughs> this is such a revelation like oh duh it, you know the birth in the squatting position video that i talked about earlier the first time i showed it at a conference a nurse in the audience said oh my god she had never seen a normal birth and she couldn't get over how it, it just happened uh, nobody helped. <laughs> you know, the mm -hmm. mother somehow managed to do this on her own, and a nurse, a delivery nurse, was awestruck. We're pretty good at this. We really are. Yeah, and, and that, so that's the hard part that we we get scared because we're not familiar and we can't. And it's so variable. There's so many shades of normal. Yes. That. And we want to put everything in a box and quantify it. And just because I, we want to control it, but it makes sense. That's what we do. We want to, like you were saying, we want to control everything. We're just, it's who's controlling it is the problem. Um, yes. Because the control is taken away from, from the mom and the baby. But it lingers in the form of what she's been told. Mm -hmm. And so we may act in a certain way because we've been told that we should. And even though we're doing it on our own, um, we're still following those those mandates, uh, which kind of circles us back around to um, 
how how often the baby nurses that's kind of what we were yeah the nurse a I lot mm -hmm. said we need yeah um I, after looking at what other mammals do, I kind of settled on the notion that in many mammals, the baby initiates the feed and the mother terminates the feed. This mammal mother has no idea that she's feeding the baby. All she knows is that whatever she does with this baby feels good and, and the baby stops yelling. Um, so she's not trying to transfer calories. That's just not in her brain at all. Um so if the baby's yowling, she does this thing that she knows is going to make the baby quiet and calm. Uh, but, oh, then she sees, I don't know, a patch of grass that she wants to graze in or a, a, a nut that she wants to pick off a bush or a leaf off a tree. And so she stops feeding and goes and does this thing that meets her needs. And the baby can do one of two things he can say well that was good enough for now i'll come back soon and um stop stop feeding or he can start kvetching again start complaining and she's going to respond to that and nurse him again so it's a back and forth thing she has no qualms about stopping before he's finished but she starts again when he wants her to and we've lost that one. We think that you have to have a complete transfer of calories um, before you can stop. And then you shouldn't have to do this again for another however long. Well, some babies will nurse a few times an hour. Some nurse you know, a few times an hour and then they don't nurse again for several hours. It, it's all over the map. Um, the fact that they just nursed doesn't mean they don't want to nurse again. Uh, they have their reasons besides being hungry. And I think that flows very nicely. If you want to get your phone or uh, go get a snack or something, you can stop, start again whenever the baby says, look, we got to do this again, mom. I wasn't finished. Mm -hmm. So it's part of that dance back and forth that we're a little afraid of. You know, we want to look at the clock to see if the baby's hungry. Who cares if he's hungry? If you nurse a lot, He's never hungry. Right. And we're always trying to control. I think one of, I did have an aha moment listening to you um, at one of the, the talks that I heard in the back. You were the first person I heard say, you know, you don't always want to eat a full course, course meal. Sometimes you just want a snack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Babies yep. do the same thing. That. You know, not every feeding is going to sit down for a full course and 20 That's minutes right. or whatever. You know, it can be just a little nibble. You just want to grab a bite. <laughs> right. And the same way around, if you're going uh, going somewhere, you know, you can nurse the baby whether he, whether he was asking or not. You can offer. Anytime you offer, a baby has the right to refuse. Most of the time they'll say, sure, sounds like a good idea. Uh, so you can top them off or they can ask for double helpings or not. I think, and this is just me talking, I think babies don't like to run on empty because they have, they can't go to the store. They can't you know, make themselves a piece of toast. If they're running on fumes, they might die. You know, mm. they, they can't. So I'm guessing that a baby just mentally likes to be kind of half full most of the time just in case just in case something happens because if you're if you're really hungry the next step is too late um so i'm guessing that they really like to cruise the middle road to an awful lot and they're over full and they spit up maybe too little and i think it they're probably nervous if that's a word you can apply to babies so they ask to nurse more often just to keep themselves in that that middle middle fullness like being home all day and uh you just kind of snack around yeah and and, and you gain weight doing it and guess what <laughs> babies are supposed to be gaining weight mm -hmm. right right that's the that that's the biggest thing they monitor or this is yeah you know did the weight gate birth rate weight can't come back um and how much is baby winning which is tied to so uh, you know, fairly, rightly so, lots of moms have the concern of, is baby getting enough? How how do you answer that question when moms come to you and say, how do I know if baby's getting enough? 
Oh, a lot of it is baby behavior. It's, um, boy, how do you know? Uh, odds are, if this baby is nursing frequently, when as often as he wants, day and night, um, and he's he's coming off the breast, um, not just nursing all the time with his eyes closed, all the time with his eyes closed. That can be a baby who's tired and uh, he's getting it in little dribs and drabs and would like to be getting it um, more easily. Um, but the baby who nurses in a relaxed way, maybe drifts off to sleep, lets go of your breast, um, who's having a lot of poopy diapers, wet diapers, a baby can be going on rather scant rations and still have plenty of wet diapers, but the poopy diapers, that's, that's food going out because food went in. And uh, someone said it's about a shallow handful of poop a day. Now, I don't know how you collect it to measure it, but, you know, this is not, not skid marks in the diaper, not, not little bits. But um, when I ask a mother how often the baby is is and she says, oh, I think, okay, well-fed baby. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that goes t- hand in hand with a with an anxiety of, do I have enough milk, right? Is baby getting enough? Do I have enough milk? Um, bottom line is, are they gaining weight? And about an ounce a day, about a half a pound a week is pretty typical. Uh, small family, maybe a little on the on the lower side. Some babies gain like gangbusters at first. Uh, what you want to look for, if you're going to get technical about this, is a baby who finds a curve and kind of stays on it. If the baby flatlines, then you need to be looking for, for help in just getting things boosted along. Um, if a baby is skyrocketing, he's probably doing what he wants to do. Uh, but roughly an ounce a day, roughly... Uh, did I say a pound a week, a half pound a week? Mm-hmm. Did I say a pound a week? Oh, dear. Half pound a week. Half pound a week. Now I'm going to scare some people with that one. I hope they continued to listen and didn't run for a scale. No point in weighing the baby every day. Um, no point in weighing the baby after every feeding. Those are things that you can check out with a, a professional helper if you have concerns. Um Again, go to a La Leche League meeting. Those, the, the women who lead those meetings are not professional, but they're well-trained in breastfeeding and in recognizing when something needs extra help. That's kind of the first line. And your doula can help you with that, your midwife. Um, how do things look to you? And if they say, oh, pff, you're fine. Odds are there's nothing particularly wrong going on. Um, so let's see, other just general, mothers often have a sense that things aren't right. This is beyond just being nervous, just this, this, this isn't sitting right. Ask somebody who knows more. And uh, it won't necessarily be the pediatrician who didn't get much training in medical school about breastfeeding. Um, La Leche League leaders, doulas, uh, no... They may not know how to fix a problem, but they can recognize a problem. And then you can go from there. Uh, Board certified lactation consultants have a lot of training in fixing things. Uh, It's nice to have one who is also a lay counselor of some kind, like uh, a Valesha leader, former leader, because they understand the human side really well, too. Mm -hmm. But uh, a skilled lay person first who who can say yeah this needs a little more investigation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, and 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 i like that someone who knows who that person is right and, and and the whole thing about the intuition of if some if you're feeling something's not right do you know i i like your comment on ask somebody who knows and maybe it's not the pediatrician because i hear often uh, I didn't, you know, this doesn't sit right or that, but my pediatrician said, just do this. And they're still not feeling that 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 solved anything, that it, it changed yeah. anything. Um, so ask again. And ask, yeah, the, the pediatrician know, has to know a little bit about a lot. Mm-hmm. You're looking for someone who knows a lot about a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, let's see. Oh, back to the weight thing. Uh-huh. Um, 
there was, and I'm sure this is still in a lot of a lot of pediatric offices, the notion that babies can lose up to 10% of their weight, birth weight, and be okay. Well, you don't see that kind of weight loss in home birth babies often. You do. I mean, all this stuff, you know, the the wide the the range of normal is very wide, but um, a lot of weight loss at first can be normal if you've had a lot of IV fluids. Yes. They they fill you up with extra fluids and they fill your baby up. So the research based suggestion right now is to um, take the baby's weight at 24 hours as his his actual weight. He will have peed out the extra fluids at, by the 24-hour mark. So um, uh, as, as one of the researchers said, um, weigh, get, record the baby's birth weight because that's how much that mother pushed out. She gets credit for every ounce of that. But then for the purposes of charting weight, take the 24-hour weight as the starting point. So yeah, if you've had a lot of IV fluids and your baby loses dramatic amounts of weight in the first day, it's okay. It's probably your fluids being peed out of your baby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a huge thing because then we get obsessed about the weight and mom's thinking I'm not doing good and I don't have milk and baby's not eating and then anxiety creeps in and then stress and then that affects the oxytocin flow and it's no fun. Yeah, one thing about stress and the oxytocin flow, though, we used to make a big deal about having to be relaxed for your milk to, to release. And then I got to thinking about all the cats out there who are chasing mice and all the mice out there who are being chased by cats and all the refugees and the the um, Stone Age people running from saber-toothed tigers. We lead stressful lives. Mammals lead stressful lives. And our babies have to eat. So virtually in every case, your milk is going to release even if you're stressed. Um, you want to you wanna enjoy your baby. That's a reason for getting help right there. I'm just not having fun with this. But don't get, don't get too stressed about your stress level if okay. you're concerned about how that's, how that's affecting your milk supply. Odds are it's, it's not. And I said milk supply. I should have said milk production. Um, supply implies that you've got these two tanks on your breast with a known quantity of milk. We produce milk and we produce it 24-7. We make the most milk when our breasts feel the most empty. We're churning it out like crazy. If there's a lot of milk in our breasts, the body senses, okay, there's not a whole lot of milk being needed. Let's back it on down. So nursing often keeps your breasts fairly empty, keeps the milk really flowing. These scheduled nursings tend to be a really good way to drop your milk supply. Milk production. <laughs> So yeah, another reason for just free, free flow nursing. You oh, a friend's. I think he was a four year old when her next baby was born, and she asked the four year old, who probably was still nursing, um, when she should nurse the baby, and he said, "Well, you should nurse her when she wakes up, and you should nurse her when she goes to sleep, or whenever you want." <laughs> and I thought he nailed it. <laughs> anytime, yeah, anytime. You don't have to have a reason. What this? Um, you talking about the milk production instead of milk supply reminds me of this whole hoopla that we've made of the fore milk and the hind milk and oh, yeah. and I know that's not that... mammalian, but I think we might want to talk about that a bit. Yeah, there, there is such a thing, but if you're nursing often, there isn't such a thing. Uh, the milk that, that um, sort of oozes out of the milk-making factories in our breasts tends to be a lower-fat milk because the milk tends to kind of stick to the insides of the little, the little grapes, bunches of grapes that make up our, our milk-making tissue. Then as our milk uh, releases and the baby starts to draw it, those contract and squeeze out the fat that was kind of sticking in them. So as the baby nurses, the fat content rises. Um, then if the baby doesn't nurse again for a couple of hours, the fat kind of recedes and that thinner milk stays there. And the baby's going to have to go through that thinner milk to get to the fattier milk. Uh, again, 
However, if you're nursing frequently, the baby stops nursing and all that milk's kind of swirling around in there and the baby comes back to breast and it's all swirled around again. In, in cultures where the babies nurse briefly, few times an hour, there's no foremilk or high milk. It's an artifact of artificial, artificially spaced feedings. Um, this notion of a baby nursing a couple times an hour, I hear some of your, your not yet mothers going, ah! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with with my side, my first, I I was semi book for a good while. My second, I just didn't have time for a book because I had a three year old and he was a lively three year old. So what I ended up doing with the second, just because I had to, I was chasing the three year old and I'd sit down on the floor and nurse for about five minutes and then I'd be up and running again and then I'd sit down on the floor and nurse for about five minutes up and running again and I thought this is ridiculous. I'm going to keep track of this and I was nursing at that time, which was early on, about five minutes, about every 15 or 20 minutes. And he was gaining weight faster than his brother had. His stomach was more settled than his brother's was. Obviously, it was easier for me because that's the pattern I fell into. This notion of 30 minutes on the couch, um, depending on the baby, and some babies need that. But probably after you get going, these frequent, frequent little snacks are are going to work just fine for both of you. It's um, scheduling feedings makes them a royal pain in the neck. You've got to schedule your day around this thing that you could just be doing on the run. Uh, and I was literally on the run, mm-hmm. so yeah, it can be. It can be. I was, in fact. He was initiating and I was terminating and he was initiating and I was terminating. And we just kind of danced along like that. Um, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. My attention was mostly on the three-year-old and the the, the baby just traveled with me. Mm-hmm. That's about finding your own rhythm and mm-hmm. that works for both of you guys. Yep. Yep. And that looks different for everybody, fortunately. Yeah. In those early days, you may see... A whole lot of nursing, a whole lot of nursing. And they say eight to 12 nursings a day. If you can count them, you probably need to do more of them. <laughs> it should be should be uncountable. Um, and they may be at your breast more than they're off it, but they're figuring this out. You're getting your body up and running. All of these pieces are trying to fit together and to try to put any limits on it at first just doesn't make any sense then and also there's not a lot coming there's colostrum there's not you know your milk supply is their production is building um you can see i've said milk supply for years production production so in those early days he can do that because he's not getting super stuffed then your milk supply starts to build and he can't hang out there all day because he gets too full now you begin to see some breaks in it where he he drops off and takes a, a serious nap here and there. But the early days, it's just getting everything up and running. And the more he nurses, the faster everything's going to work itself out. If you're feeling, feeling sore, super sensitive for a day or two, okay, um, painful, check with somebody um, who really understands nursing babies. And again, that won't necessarily be your health professional um, on any front, it may be, but if if it doesn't if it doesn't feel good, I mean, if the if the the information that you're getting doesn't feel good, look for some other people. Absolutely, I could talk to you all day long, <laughs> but well, I could talk all day long. This has been fun. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But if people want to follow what you're doing and, and see what you're up to and, and know more about all your wonderful um, work, where can they oh, do that? Oh, boy, we can't stop now, Adriana. There's one topic that I have to squeeze in, and that is nights. Oh, my goodness, how do we overlook nights? Do I have a minute at least? Absolutely. Oh, three? Hey, Mighty Ones, as you can see, Diane still had tons of info to share, certainly much more than would fit into just one episode, so I've turned our conversation into a two-part episode. Today's part was all about the behavior of human mammals during birth and breastfeeding, and in the next part, part two, if you will, we'll jump right into talking about how newborn mammals sleep, 
why bed sharing is not the scary monster we've made it out to be, and how to do it safely. We'll also look at how other mammals introduce solids and how they wean from breastfeeding. Diane's got some amazing insights that will help you make the whole thing an easy and seamless non-event. You can find the link to part two in the show notes attached to this episode or the more in-depth notes located at birthful.com. There you can also learn about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. And if you're looking to prepare for life with a newborn, then go to birthfulcourses.com and sign up. Do it before baby arrives to avoid unnecessary struggles. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Simply Breastfeeding and Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Friday when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Because babies come when they come. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.